Welcome back, Juniors. This week, we travel with Steve, Mike, and Bear and learn more about the two Hyperboreans they had rescued during the Exotheneo attack. Now, back to the story. Chapter 29 Michael stretched and tried to find a comfortable position for his shoulder, a difficult task on horseback. Leander Velius was talking about sin, again. The Hyperborean monk seemed to think and speak of nothing else. He sounded as if he believed he were personally responsible for the transgression against Trendok. Listening to him, Trendok approached godhood, a completely different take from what Hippolyta explained to Michael about the Anani. At least the monk's endless ramblings helped to keep his thoughts from his injury, and what he heard was not altogether useless. Michael had gleaned a few kernels of value concerning the culture of the Hyperborean people. For example, the government was a blend of a patriarchy and a series of representatives. The king retained control, but if the representatives held a majority vote, it would force him to reconsider the law. When Michael voiced his doubts, if an empowered community could successfully work in a patriarchal government, the pointy-eared Hyperborean stated that it had been working just fine for the past thousand years. Michael couldn't tell if the monk attached to him out of some misconception that he saved the Hyperborean's life or because no one else could tolerate the pious character. Either way, the fanatic had spent the last two days describing how much he, Leander Velias, deserved to be damned. The battlefield is the mind. Leander rambled on. Your thoughts have the strength to damn you or to be your salvation. It begins and ends with the mind. It is not what goes into you that defiles you. It is what already dwells inside you that is a true poison. Michael decided to quote a verse that his Sunday school teacher was fond of saying, What goes into a man's mouth does not defile him, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what defiles him. His parents had made sure that church was a constant Sunday staple, but failed to practice anything remotely religious the other six and a half days of the week. It was one of their few acts of real parenting and it was totally wasted on their son. Exactly. The monk's eyes smoldered with religious fervor, but it confuses me. Why do you speak wisdom, but you include mythical creatures? Mythical creatures? Michael twisted in his saddle to look directly at Leander. What are you talking about? There's no such thing as men. Leander peered at him. You know this. Michael reached back and pulled a wineskin from his saddlebag, his mouth suddenly dry. He felt as if he tottered on a precipice. He looked forward and chose his words with care. What do you know about men? Leander smirked. I am not one to speak of such things. My interest lies in salvation, not old stories made to frighten children or to entertain the wayward. Please, Michael said, and after a moment Leander conceded. Very well. What would you like to know? There are a number of stories that revolve around the Anthropus and their evil deeds. It doesn't matter. Michael felt the weight of the moment slide from his shoulders. Leander looked up, and his eyes wandered as if he sought some answer in the clear blue sky. When I was a child, I was told of a man named Heracles. Michael jerked in his saddle. I'm sorry. I missed that. What was his name? His steady tone belied the pounding of his heart. 
Heracles was as strong as he was evil. The story goes that one day Heracles heard of a beast wickeder than himself. Not being able to abide something surpassing his own evilness, he sought the creature to destroy it. The Lernaea Hydra had many heads, and if you severed one, two would grow back in its place. Heracles removed the heads and scorched the flesh of the neck so it would not rejuvenate. The central and immortal head of the beast he put under a great stone somewhere on the outskirts of Tyrrhenus. The monster's blood was poisonous, and Heracles dipped his arrows in it. They said he slew many Kintoros with those poisonous arrows. The monk's voice lost its pompous tone as he continued. My brother, Candor, used to scare me with that story. He said if I told on him, Heracles' arrows would find me. He trembled. Even though now I am grown, it still holds dreadful thoughts for me. Interesting, though. It can be considered a righteous deed to slay a creature so foul. Yet the motive and the continuing result was most wicked. Evil paints everything it touches. Like most things in this world, the familiarity of the story unsettled Michael. He couldn't make sense of the connections between this world and his. Even the landscape encroached on his peace of mind. If he didn't know any better, he would swear he was back in California, maybe near King City. The landscape was foreign, and yet it wasn't. It constantly felt like he was walking in a funhouse mirror maze, where things seemed normal in his peripheral vision, but looking straight on revealed the distortion. The monk frowned. I see I have put you in a foul mood. The telling of the story has had its effects on me as well. Even in the bright of day, I feel a chill. I must leave you now and purify my thoughts. The monk fell back silently as Michael's own thoughts roiled in his skull. He looked ahead at his friends. Bear, who walked more than he rode lately, exchanged words with Steve. A loneliness sank into him. He felt the deep need to talk to them, but wavered. Even they seemed different now. Steve rode with the butt of his spear propped in the stirrup as if he was born a warrior, and even riding horseback seemed second nature to him now. Bear, who had always been large for his age, seemed larger, and in a way stranger to Michael. A need for a burger or to watch some TV fell on him. Right now, he would even settle for sitting in his bedroom trying not to hear his parents fight. Anything to return his sense of normalcy. He was about to coax his horse to catch up to Stephen Bear when Xylon, the other Hyperborean the group had saved, intercepted him. You finally chased away that monk, I see. He's okay, Michael replied, still halfway in his thoughts. Okay. Xylon twisted his mouth around the word. Uh, I suppose there's worse company to keep. He cooks well enough, and you don't have to worry about him slitting your throat while you sleep. That's a pleasant thought. Ha! The great-haired Hyperborean laughed, more pleasant than his incessant talk about sin. There's a wonder why Trindok doesn't smote him. Leander is a fool. But the world is full of them, and one more is not going to make much difference, I suppose. He's a fool, but a harmless one. Haven't you been with him for weeks before we found you? Xylon snorted at the question. Even I need some company once in a while. 
It has been five years since I traveled with anyone, especially with something so entertaining as your group. Michael hadn't decided whether he liked the stranger or not. Steve, of course, thought he was hilarious, but that wasn't saying much. Steve considered himself to be hilarious. He examined Zylon through the corner of his eye. He was tall as Michael, but a much stockier build than the almost gaunt Leander. His movements were full of confidence, built from his hermetic lifestyle. Michael was sure if you couldn't take care of yourself in the wild, you didn't live long enough to regret it. And it was not that he didn't trust the newcomer. Well, maybe he didn't. Zylon gave his sense of having his own agenda. What that agenda could be, Michael could not guess, but he decided to watch his step and his words around him. He also resolved to make sure Steve and Baird did the same. Still, even if I were blind, Zylon continued, I would know something was amiss. Your group is a puzzle. I have never seen a Lestrogan in these woods, let alone with such company. And your Lectoc friend, he's scarcely old enough to be off his mama's teat. And you? There is something definitely strange about you, Michael Reed, other than your ears. You are like them, but apart. I can almost feel a type of swirling about you. It's like a dark breeze at my feet. A dark wind brings dark times, my mother always said. May she rest in the peace of Petir's embrace. Michael realized he was strangling his reins and forced his hands to relax. Zylon saw too much. Something was after them, and the less people knew about that something, the better. Michael refused to fill in the blanks for the Hyperborean with lies. The silence thickened between them. I'm sorry for your loss, he finally said. How's that shoulder of yours? Michael flexed his right arm. It's much better. I should be able to lose a sling tomorrow. It's amazing what the Metav can do. Yes, these dryads are excellent healers, but a little too prickly for my taste. He bared a nasty gash on his arm. They just as soon as cut you as kiss you, and by the time you're close enough to find out, it is too late. You should watch yourself with that sapling named Zoe. She seems more spirited than most. Spirited? You could call it that. Michael thought if one more person gave him advice about Zoe, he was going to scream. He stomped on the temptation to scratch his cheek. They rode for a while before the Hyperborean spoke again. I have a gift for you. For what? If it had not been for your company's arrival, Leander and I may still be in the glen, rotting. I refuse to let such a deed go unrewarded. It's hardly my company, Michael said. Zylon forestalled any further argument with a raised hand. Leave the humility to the monk. What is it? You'll see tomorrow, he said and healed his horse to the back of the procession. Can I see it now? Michael twisted in his saddle to watch Zylon go. No, no, no. Michael shrugged and faced forward. His brain hurt. He never pictured things becoming so complicated when he first set out two weeks ago. It had seemed simple then. They would ride to the city, find Trindok, and he would send them home. Simple. The fact that Trindok had not been seen for ages had been a mere technicality. He would succeed, because he had to succeed. 
but things kept on spiraling out of its control, the least of which was his growing discomfort around Zoe. The image of her invaded his thoughts. He had much more important things to worry about than her moodiness, but his mind kept on being drawn to her. He found himself scanning the forest for her visage and forcibly focused his eyes forward. The absurdity of the situation infuriated him, and he clutched at his reins to keep his hands from his face. His horse lurched as he spurred the beast to catch up with his friends. Zine said that we should reach town by nightfall, Steve said as Michael reined in his horse. I thought this force would never end, Michael said. You and me both. How's his shoulder? Better. Michael lowered his voice. I think we should watch what we say around Zylon. It's better if we keep a low profile. Steve nodded. Bear was just telling me the same thing. I think you guys are right. He sees more than he says. Bear rumbled next to them. Michael nodded and fell into a silence. Soon, the warmth of the sun and the steady rocking of his saddle lulled him into a daze. The ache in his shoulder faded, and he absorbed his surroundings. The sky was bright and clean, cleaner than any sky he had ever seen before. This sky had never been marred by contrails or broken by sonic booms. The earth seemed to breathe and whisper to him. There was no traffic, no commercials, just the ceaseless motion of life. Contentment draped over him. He smiled at his observation that he was truly, truly on an adventure with his friends. He was on the other side of the rainbow. He had known this for weeks, but finally the reality of it sunk in, and it was a little terrifying. He had to admit it was also exciting. Despite how much he demanded to his parents that he was an adult, in his heart he knew he was still a child trying to break through into manhood. He knew this reality was too large for him, but the thought skimmed over his mind like stone over the water. He took a long inhalation of air that had never tasted an exhaust pipe. In a strange way, he was probably the happiest he had ever been, and for a moment he could shrug off his complicated thoughts and feelings and simply enjoy the moment. Michael didn't notice the cuts on his face slowly stitched themselves back together. Listen, Steve said. Do you smell that? I don't smell anything, Bear said. Is it food? Because I'm starving. Steve ignored Bear. It smells like... Honey? It smells wonderful. Michael was jerked back to reality as Steve's horse cut across his path. Dude! Michael reined in his horse. Steve was oblivious to the near collision. He stood in his stirrups, neck stretched forward and his nose thrust out, giving him a cartoonish appearance like a character being led by the nose from some aroma. Michael watched Steve push his horse into the thinning forest. Michael and Bear exchanged looks and then followed after him. Steve rode several yards before them, testing the air with his nose, accompanied by an occasional mumble. Coming to a brook that cut across their impromptu path, Steve slid off his horse. What are you doing? Michael asked, dismounting. Can't you smell it? Steve waded into the shallow water. It's amazing, he said in a sing-song voice. Maybe you can smell fish, Bear said hopefully. It's right? Steve stopped and peered into the water. Here, he 
He thrust his hand into the brook and pulled out a fist-sized rock. Well, slap my ass and call me Sally, he shouted and put the rock to his nose and breathed deep. He turned with a stupid grin on his face and displayed his prize. I'm rich. You already are rich, Michael said. No, my parents are rich. Steve hefted the stone and tromped back onto dry land. Here, take a gander at that. Michael looked at the yellow-colored rock that Steve thumped into his hand. It was heavy. Heavier than he thought it should be. He blinked. Yep, Steve said, rocking back on his heels. Gold, baby. The sweetest-smelling gold I had ever seen. His eyes sparkled. You can't smell gold, Michael argued. For one thing, I don't think it even has a smell. And it was underwater. It's impossible to smell anything through water. Michael handed the heavy material to Bear. Then explain how I found it, Steve said. He oozed smugness. Michael said nothing. There was no explanation. It's real, Bear said and handed the treasure back to Steve. Congratulations. I think it weighs at least five pounds. Steve flourished a bow. Thank you for believing in me, Bear. I think I'll buy you a car. I don't drive. A mere technicality, my good sir, Steve said. I shall procure you a chauffeur to boot. If you are done here, we should resume our journey, Zoe said, stepping out of the underbrush. Michael stiffened. The way that girl continued to sneak up on him was unnerving. It was no wonder he always felt watched. We were just about to. We cannot stop every time your talk gets a whiff of a new trinket, Zoe said before she slipped back into the forest. She's right, Michael admitted and pulled himself back into his saddle. She always seemed to be right lately, and the worst part was she knew it. There's nothing worse than a smug person who's right, he thought. Steve placed the precious metal into his saddlebag. You notice something? No. Michael answered. He looked to Bear. She didn't doubt that Steve could smell gold, Bear answered. Steve, do you know exactly what a lek talk is? Michael asked. Steve bounced twice on his toes before he managed to pull himself into the saddle. I swear this horse is getting taller every day. Steve, Michael insisted. No, I just figured it was some handsome race of men. Michael rolled his eyes. Leander said that he thought men were a myth. He told me a story about Heracles. You mean like Hercules? Is that possible? Bear asked. He knew the story, or at least one of them, Michael said. There's something important here, but I, I can't figure out what it is. If they know Greek mythology, then there has to be a connection between our home and here. Bear said. Hippolyta said something about a division. Michael said. Maybe it was a division of worlds, Steve said. Maybe. Either way, we better start thinking about these types of races and how they could affect us. Fair enough, Steve said. Michael's thoughts wandered as he led the group back to the procession. Even if Steve was right about the division, it didn't explain his sudden and strange ability. 
Michael didn't even know if the two were connected. But if a division had taken place between the worlds, maybe they were still on Earth. Just a different Earth. If all those mythical creatures really did exist at one time, maybe they ended up here. It made an odd logic. Humans were on one side of the separation, and the other things were on the other side. He didn't know if it was possible, but it was a working theory he could live with. Still, something nagged him. A feeling of importance still hovered over him. He shrugged the thought off. If it were that important, it would come to him eventually. That's all for this week, Journeyers. Come back next week and we'll return with Steve, Bear, and Mike and see what gifts Xylon, the Hyperborean they saved, has for them. As always, thanks for listening and be good to one another.